This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. My name is John Dunn. This is the Best Friends Podcast. It is now the final month of the year 2021. Not sure how that happened, but today is December the 2nd. Hopefully you had an amazing Thanksgiving holiday, but out of one holiday right into the busy month of December and the rest of the holiday season. It is a busy time. Those of you working in any kind of fundraising communications capacity, you may have it the toughest right now. The end of your fundraising period is such a hectic time, but on behalf of the rest of us across the country, we're all thankful for you development folks for raising the funds we need to save lives. Regardless of your role, it is a stressful time which is why this week we're turning once again to a topic that we can all benefit from, our own well-being. And we're going to learn some ways we can reduce stress, cultivate compassion, promote healthy communication, and improve our relationships. Melissa Truman from Bidawee, an organization in New York, will be telling us more about that in just a moment. Next week's episode is on one of my favorite topics, keeping people and pets together. We really want to help those that need the help. That's huge for us. And so by identifying this with Best Friends and Catholic Charities, I'd always known the need was out there, but I never really had that partner to tell me like what the need was. And once we started meeting and I was like, ah, this is how we can fit. This is another part that we can really help our community. That's Dory Peck, the executive director of Spoke Animal in Spokane, Washington. They've teamed up with a humanitarian organization, Catholic Charities Eastern Washington. And together, they're helping pet owners in that community with whatever help they need, be it temporary fostering, vaccines, food, training, you name it. The two organizations realized their individual missions were not as different as we may have all once believed. So they're working side by side to help people and pets in their community. And it is working. Yeah, at first I probably was more judgmental. And then I think I've gotten obviously less and less and less as time goes on. Everybody has hard times. Things happen to people that they don't expect. And everyone deserves that love. And I truly believe that. So make sure you're subscribed or you follow the Best Friends podcast, whatever they call it, on your platform of choice. Make sure you've done it so you don't miss next week or any future episode. This is a cool program and I want this to go across the country. This needs to be nationwide. All right. So this week we're sharing another of the sessions from this year's Best Friends National Conference. And the session is called Applying 12-Step Principles to Succeed, Stay Sane, and Save Lives. We've put the slide deck up on the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. You don't need the slides to listen to the episode, but they're there if you want to check them out during or after bestfriends.org slash podcast. Scroll down. This is episode number 90. That's where you'll find the deck and some other resources around this topic. Check out the link we've got in the show notes on your player or go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. Hi everyone, my name is Melissa Truman and I'm the Senior Director of Communications at Bidawi, one of the oldest animal welfare and pet adoption organizations in the country. So it would be impossible for me to talk about this topic without sharing a little bit of personal information about myself. Yes, I'm a proud member of a 12-step group and I chose this topic because the tools and principles I've learned in that group have not only been life-changing on a personal level, but have helped me tremendously in my professional life. That said, you don't need to be a member of a 12-step group to benefit from these tools and principles. They're really universal, and they can help us cultivate emotional intelligence 
and improve our relationships in and out of the office. Before I start, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I've been in animal welfare for a little more than 15 years, which still astounds me. I can't believe how fast time's gone by. And before I dive in, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I got here and how I almost didn't get here. The first time I ever applied for a job, or the first time I ever interviewed for a job in animal welfare, I nearly blew it. I don't remember exactly how I began my interview, but my feelings were immediately apparent. I would choose the company of animals over people any day of the week. So luckily, I could see that my approach seemed to be the canine equivalent of relieving myself on the Westminster stage. So I very quickly reversed course. I wound up getting the job, but years later, my then manager informed me that my discernible desire at the time to ditch the company of people for animals had given her pause and nearly landed my resume in the reject pile. And she had every right to have real reservations. I quickly realized that this is not an industry for people who want to work with animals so that they can avoid people. It's really the opposite. It's for people with the strongest of communication and interpersonal skills who can collaborate together to achieve the best possible outcome for animals. I've learned a lot about other people and a lot about myself since that day by identifying, examining, and in many cases, reframing my perceptions and behaviors, which has really contributed to my success and happiness personally and professionally. So you might be thinking, this sounds a lot like therapy. Is emotional intelligence really that relevant in a professional setting? The answer is 100%. There's an expression I love, which is how we do anything is how we do everything. We all love to think that we're masters at compartmentalizing, myself included. But the reality is it's really hard to separate the person we are at home from the person we are in the office. And this is because we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Our past experiences and our beliefs determine our perceptions and inform our behaviors. So we see all our relationships and interactions through that lens. So if it's skewed, everything that follows is going to be skewed. Emotional intelligence helps us identify our emotions, clarify our perceptions, and manage our emotions and behaviors effectively. And cultivating emotional intelligence and applying it in the workplace will give us the ability to create better relationships with our coworkers and community and create a positive work environment for the entire team. So before I start, I wanna talk a little bit about the nonprofit environment. I think that applying emotional intelligence in the workplace is important in any industry, but it's particularly important in the nonprofit environment because as we all know, Nonprofits are notorious for attracting sensitive, caretaking personalities to their cause. Animal welfare professionals are committed, compassionate employees who will do whatever it takes to save vulnerable lives. But at times we can be hindered by interpersonal obstacles. 12-step programs for years have helped millions of people reduce stress, improve their communication skills, and really reach their goals, meet their goals professionally and personally. So does emotional intelligence though really drive professional success? Well, historically, when we thought about achieving professional success, we probably didn't think a lot about emotional intelligence. In fact, up until recently, emotion was like a dirty word in the office. 
there was something you dealt with at home, but you definitely weren't supposed to bring it into work. But luckily, things have really changed since then. And now emotional intelligence is one of the biggest buzzwords in business. We know that people who are emotionally intelligent make better leaders, they're more resilient, and research shows that people with a high level of emotional intelligence make almost $30,000 more annually than those with a lower emotional intelligence. I know that number blows my mind. So we know the research is undeniable, but can we learn to be more emotionally intelligent? And if so, how? And the truth is there are a lot of ways to do this, but for the purpose of this session, I'm going to talk about how we can use simple, proven 12-step principles to succeed, stay sane, and save lives. So I'm going to begin with the simple, popular slogan, how important is it? Now, I know this may sound eye-rollingly basic, but I can't tell you how many times I've wasted time and energy on something that was either bound to work out with or without my meddling, something that I couldn't control no matter what I did or didn't do, or something that was just flat out not my business. When the stakes are high like they can be in animal welfare, it can be hard to always know the difference between a minor inconvenience and a major crisis. So ask yourself, how important is it? If you look back two months or a year from now, is it really going to matter? And if you're still not sure how important something is and whether or not it warrants a response from you, ask yourself three additional questions. Does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? And does this need to be said by me now? I'm a passionate person with strong opinions, and if I didn't ask myself that question regularly, I'm not so sure I'd still have a job. Because very often the answer is no. And the more that we can detach from the small stuff, the more that we can focus on what's really important. Take the action and let go of the result. Early on in my career, I used to be terrified to speak up in meetings. If there was something I wanted to say in a meeting, I would spend the majority of the meeting dissecting it in my mind, making sure I thought it was intelligent enough and worthy enough of being heard. And if I did manage to say it, and then God forbid anyone in the meeting disagreed with me, I would stay silent for the rest of the meeting, maybe the rest of the day. These days, I dread meetings where the same voices are amplified and everyone else remains silent. I can definitely understand the instinct to hide. I've been there. But it's important to remember that hiding, it doesn't serve us professionally, it doesn't serve our colleagues, and it doesn't serve the organization. So today I like to remind myself, I think of my input as doing service. And whether my ideas at the time are celebrated, rejected, or used to spark a bigger conversation or a better idea, they're generating important conversations among the team and they're contributing to the diversity of thought and success of the organization. So while I still think before I speak and act, and we all should, I no longer obsess over the outcome or worry about what everyone is thinking about me. A friend recently reminded me that when I'm in another person's head, I'm literally out of my mind. And I always try to remember that whenever I find myself veering off course. The power of making amends. So if you have any familiarity at all with 12-step programs, you probably know that making amends is a huge part of pretty much every one of them. Now, this might sound out of place in a presentation about how to achieve professional success, 
But I can't tell you how less stressful my jobs became when I realized that this was something that I could apply in the office. If you've ever seen anyone make a mistake in the office and start freaking out, throwing people under the bus, assigning blame, et cetera, et cetera, you know that people can get pretty bent out of shape when mistakes happen. And we're dealing with saving lives, so I get it. It can be stressful, but we're human, so mistakes are bound to happen. I stopped freaking out so much about making mistakes when I realized that nine out of 10 times I could diffuse the situation from the get-go if I just take responsibility immediately and address how I'm going to rectify the situation. When we stay calm and own up to our mistakes right away without a big production, we become the kind of people who others respect and trust, mistakes and all. So now I'm gonna talk a little bit about how we can use some 12-step principles to stay sane in the office, which is obviously incredibly important. We all know that relationships can be challenging and relationships in the office are really no exception. We all come to the table with our own history and our coworkers are sort of like partners that we didn't get to choose. So there's bound to be some hiccups. Most workplace conflict stems from poor communication, a lack of boundaries, and a tendency to assume and fear the worst. But the following tools can help us maintain our sanity in the office. Feelings aren't facts. So animal welfare is an incredibly emotionally driven field and it's filled with passionate, sensitive people. In this environment, it can be easy to take things personally that aren't personal. But it's important to remember that the looks, tone, and mood of another person generally have absolutely nothing to do with us. More times than not, they have to do with whatever is going on with that specific person at that specific time. And furthermore, whenever I'm feeling particularly activated about something someone else says or does, I remind myself of the expression, when it's hysterical, it's historical. This means that if I'm having a particularly big reaction to something, chances are I'm not reacting to strictly whatever is going on in that moment. But instead, it's probably bringing something up for me in my past that's contributing to those heightened feelings. Once I'm able to get some perspective around that and right-size my feelings, it helps me put some space between me and that interaction, which can provide immediate relief. I'm a sucker for corny slogans, and I love this one that says that feelings are like little kids in the car. You don't stuff them in the trunk, but you don't let them drive either. The perils of people-pleasing. People-pleasing is one of those terms that sounds a lot better than it actually is, kind of like kitten season. At face value, people-pleasing sounds like a terrific trait, but people-pleasers are so upset they're so afraid of upsetting another person that they run themselves ragged. They don't put their own feelings and their own needs first. They're always feeling overwhelmed. And as a result, they can grow frustrated and resentful. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone in the office say that they were afraid to do or say something because of how they thought another person may react. But the reality is, we don't know the way another person is going to react to anything, and we're not responsible for how they do. When we stop trying to get inside another person's head, we can shift our focus back to our own actions and make sure we're operating from a place of integrity, which will ultimately benefit us, our colleagues, and the organization.
resentment is like peeing in your pants. Nobody feels it but you. So there are so many great slogans about resentment. You guys may be familiar with the one that says resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for another person to die. It's normal to feel resentment when we feel like we've been wronged by someone. But holding on to resentment doesn't hurt anyone but ourselves. It's normal to feel resentment in the office, which can stem from a variety of sources, including feeling perceived slights, feeling overworked, overwhelmed, um, lack of recognition, you name it. And it's a valid feeling, but it can lead to a place of victimhood and make us feel powerless. We often feel resentment because we think we know what another person is thinking instead of just coming out and asking them. Resentment thrives on toxic thoughts that are trapped inside our minds. So the best thing we can do is open the door and let those thoughts out. If you need to have a conversation with your manager or colleague, set up a meeting with the goal of clarifying, connecting, and asking questions, and then be honest, open, and willing to learn. So it's clear that emotional intelligence can help us in our personal and professional lives as individuals, but can it really contribute to the overall success of an organization? And in our case, can it really help us save even more lives? If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Human beings are creatures of habit. We can become so comfortable in our established routines and habits that we fail to question their efficiency and ask ourselves if there is a better method. Moreover, many of us may be reluctant to risk what we perceive as rocking the boat. So we remain dedicated to practices and procedures that are inefficient, even though a part of us knows that there is a better way. Again, I always remind myself and others to think of speaking up as doing service because organizations are only as good as the people within them. Animal welfare is a field that is advancing every day because of innovations and ideas from people like you. We wouldn't be where we are today if someone hadn't said, hey, what if we remove some of the hoops that people usually have to jump through when adopting from a shelter? Or have we ever thought about doing video matchmaking or virtual adoptions? Or I know that in the past, an adopter may have had to relinquish their pet if they couldn't pay for veterinary care. But what if there was a way to provide support to adopters and underserved communities so that families could actually remain together? There is no reason that the person bringing those ideas to the table can't be you. Just take the next right action. There are never enough hours in the day. And sometimes in spite of our very best efforts, we can become so overwhelmed that we literally feel like we're drowning. When my to-do list is piling up, my emails are coming in every three seconds, and my cat is hovering over my pillow and making that wretched sound that precedes her barking all over my bed. You guys know the one. It's all I can do to take a deep breath and remind myself to just take the next right action. The next right action might just be to get the cat off the bed, but whatever it is, it reminds me, it keeps me in the present moment, and it reminds me that I don't have to plan out the rest of my life. I don't even need to figure out the rest of my day. I just need to determine the next right action and do that. Once I can punctuate that state of anxiety, everything else suddenly becomes manageable. And finally, progress, not perfection. Animal welfare can be all-consuming. There's always another plea to respond to, 
another dog or cat in need of urgent care. And if we aren't careful, compassion fatigue can take a tremendous toll on all of us. It can be so easy to focus on all of the things we haven't yet accomplished and lose sight over everything that we have. But every person who's working in this field is making incredible strides every single day. Today, more than 45% of animal shelters are no-kill. Pet euthanasia rates have plummeted in big cities in recent years, falling more than 75% since 2009. And the national save rate has been increasing every year since 2014 when it was at 50%. And today it stands at more than 79%. It's important to remember that big goals don't happen overnight. But celebrating our wins and focusing on progress rather than perfection will remind us of how far we've come and bring us one step closer to saving them all. Don't forget that you can email us here, podcast at bestfriends.org. Maybe you have an idea for a show or a guest, or you just want to send me pictures of your pets in their holiday gear, podcast at bestfriends.org. I may or may not have photos of my cats in holiday sweaters to exchange. Only one way to find out, right? Email podcast at bestfriends.org. The team making this thing happen every week, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta, My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.